It's good to be here with all of you today, even in this snowy weather, and just want to say thanks to a few people uh, that I know of, like Mike Freed, Mike Hoover, and Cameron Beckman, who are out uh, taking care of the snow. There might have been others, but those are the ones that I know of, and so thank you for doing that, because otherwise you might have slipped on your way in. Um, and if you still did, then you can blame them, but no, I'm just kidding. But, um, but hopefully you made it in safely, obviously, and so we're thankful for those guys being able to do that so we could be here, be here and study God's Word together today. So um, hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with family and friends. And uh, as you know, we've been going over the Armor of God series, and last week we actually finished that. And before we start the Advent, we have this week. So we're going to be talking about uh, something a little bit different, and I'm excited to get to do that. Before we do, let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we just want to give you thanks, and we praise you for who you are. Thank you for uh, even the craziness of all this snow and how much we got and how awesome it is that, uh, and, and, and how beautiful it is. We thank you that we can still be here and worship you today. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for those that are here. I pray that we can study your word and give you praise and glory in your son Jesus' mighty name. Amen. What is God's will for me? How do I know what God wants me to do in this situation? Or, Lord, I pray for your will in this situation. These are some of the co- most common words that I've actually heard um, asked as a pastor from other believers. And you know what? I have prayed and asked those same words many times myself. And to be honest, I used to pretty much be paralyzed when an issue came up and I was wondering, what is God's will in this situation? I used to think that God's will meant that there was one path that could lead me to God's will, and that was it. No matter what, one path. And I know maybe there's some here that hold that view as well, and then maybe have struggled in making decisions that might be in God's will. But in fact, I was once even struggling greatly with deciding whether to move my family here or not. But I'll get on to that in a bit later. But I remember much of my life always wanting to make sure my decisions were rooted being in the will of God. I then often got excited or wanted to think about or study how we could know what that one path for God's will is. But nothing really ever clicked or cleared up for my life on what that will was for God's, for God's path for my life. Also, when I was in college, I thought this might be the, the way to do it. I went to a Bible college, and there was a professor I had who I really respected, and he wrote a book called um, Decision-Making in the Will of God. So I thought, this has got to help clear it up. For some reason, it didn't really click with me uh, in the sense of really clearing it up. For I, so I still continued to even struggle. What is that one path for God's will in my life? So a few years after that, it just seemed hard to consistently know what that would be. But a few years ago, I started to wonder if the will of God could maybe be broken down into a couple categories. One being that overarching main theme of God's will for your life. That could maybe be broken down into God's specific will for your life. But the other category of God's will we're going to talk more about today is in those daily decisions, some big and small that are in our life. This could be broken down in God's general will for us. Then God brought me to a few verses that really changed everything for me about three, three plus years ago. And this passage is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we can go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. We had some technical difficulties, so it won't be up there. So heaven forbid you have to open your Bibles today. So, or maybe your phones, but yeah. Uh, so, we're going to go to the passage now, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18. It says this, Be joyful always, pray continually, 
and give thanks in all your circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all your circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I like this passage before, but it was just over three years ago that God brought a lot of peace into my life through this passage and helped me see how I could be in his general will in my daily life and decisions. So let's break this passage down a bit, and then I'll tell you how God used it. So if we break this down, it's into three parts. I think it shows us as believers how we can be in God's general will for our daily life and decisions. And once we realize that, it isn't always easy to live out, but at least we have the formula for a daily life that can honor God. So let's break down the three points that can help us live in God's will. And this is really easy to follow along because all three points are literally, spoiler alert, the passage. So point number one is to live in God's will, be joyful always. Now this doesn't say be happy always or doesn't say be joyful sometimes. It's telling us to be joyful always. Or in other words, we need to be joyful in whatever situation life finds us in. And there's a difference between being happy and being joyful. And sadly, in this world, we're often told to strive to be happy over joyful. If you think about it, we're told, we'll ter, we'll, we are ter, told to look for the pursuit of happiness. Even in the Declaration of Independence, it says we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not striving to be joyful in what we hear. We're told by ads and other things in this world, we're to think about what makes me happy. Or we even say in our daily talk, oh, that makes me happy, or I wish I was happy. But we don't strive to be joyful. We don't say, oh man, I'm so joyful, or I need more joy in my life. More often we say we're striving for that happiness. But the Lord does not command us to be happy. He commands us to be joyful always and to find that joy in him. Now again, happy, being happy isn't bad, of course, but it isn't lasting. And the difference between happy and joyful is that we can feel happy when we receive something like a gift or achieve something like awards or honors. But these things are external or belong to the surface of our lives. It's not deep, it's superficial. But joy, on the other hand, is something deeper. It's something we feel internally in our lives as human beings. For example, when we feel great joy, when we get to worship God the Father, and like we're singing, how great is our God, what you're maybe experiencing there was true joy of realizing how great our God is and what he's done for us. It's an internal thing that we have in our inner, inner nature, and we can think about what God has done for us on the cross. But happiness is something that can end once it's felt. It doesn't sustain. For example, you might feel happy when someone that you like finally says they like you back or something like that, but this kind of fle is feeling is fleeting, and, it, and it's just happiness. But on the other hand, joy is something more selfless, which means that you have joy when it's not for personal gain. When you feel emotion thinking about how Jesus Christ died to save you, that is joy. Or you feel excitement for a loved one that's giving birth or something, it's outside of yourself. Joy is something that is for not only yourself, but for others. And one of the best ways to differentiate between happiness and joy is that happiness is merely external, fleeting, and can sometimes only be for pleasure, and a big key of it, it's only achievable on earth. Joy, on the other hand, is internal, selfless, sacrificial, a spiritual connection with God, with God and it's purely good. 
And we need joy in our lives just as we need God in our lives. That is why to be able to attain joy, we must receive Christ, follow him and his word. And this brings us back to our command of the passage, which is to be joyful always, or to be joyful in him always. And after seeing the differences of happiness and joy, being joyful is what we should be striving for. It sounds good. And with knowing Christ and being plugged into him, we have that reason to be joyful always. So we talked kind of about the differences of joy and happiness, but let's look and, and how we can strive to be joyful. And I'm going to look at two ways of how we can do that. The first is by being content where we are. I think one of the best ways that in an affluent country that many of us have grown up in that the devil can use against us as believers is discontentment. We may not even see it, but we have everything we need, but yet we still aren't content no matter what it is. And so I think one of the best ways that we can be joyful is by being content with where we are in our situations. And one of the ways is to do that is by not comparing ourselves to others or the things around us. As we may all know the saying that comparison is the thief of joy. And I know it's easier said than done to not look at our neighbor or friend, and it may seem like they're way better off than us. And we can get down and be a bit discontent because we don't have what they have. Then we lose our joy and we take our focus off of what our true joy is, and that's Jesus Christ. But if you think about it, we can actually also compare ourselves the other way, kind of like I do when I compare myself with Cameron. I'm better at pickleball than him. I'm still comparing myself <laughs> with him, uh, but we can compare that. But there's other ways. We're saying like, oh, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm healthier than they are, or I'm better looking than they are, or I'm stronger than they are. We're still comparing with somebody else on the other side of that. So we're taking our focus off of Jesus. So we need to be content with where we are in our circumstances, in our life. And we're not focusing on just the circumstances. We're, we're focusing on our true source of joy, which is Jesus. So that first one is by, first way to, to continue to be joyful is not, is being content, not focusing on our circumstances. And the other is to be focusing on Jesus and our relationship with him as the true source of joy. That's a source of joy that is permanent and unchanging and not dependent upon circumstances or the like. Because true joy is present even when things are not going our way. Joy doesn't depend on circumstances, but on a living relationship with Christ. So if you don't have joy right now, don't blame your circumstances. They were never meant to bring you joy in the first place. Because if you build your life on circumstances, you're going to be miserable at least as often as you are happy. You need a source of joy that does not change. An eternal perspective that comes only from knowing Jesus Christ. So the question is, are you joyful always? If not, are you comparing yourself with others or other things? How is your relationship with the Lord? Are you daily plugged into him? If you want to be joyful always, start by building and growing your relationship on the source of true joy and ask him to help give you true joy in that will help you live in his general will. And the second way that we can strive to be in God's will is found in verse 17, which is only two words. It says, pray continually. So last week, Rick had a whole sermon on prayer, and so I'm not going to hit hard on that section. But I still want to talk a bit about prayer, as it's still important to this passage as well. And I would ask, though, that this passage says we are to pray continually. How can we possibly do that? Does that mean we need to quit our jobs and daily lives and live solitary lives and legalistically do nothing but pray? 
That's not what it means. Because what it means is that we should want to be in the presence of God daily. We should get our energy from God. We should be in communion with him about everything. And we should be inviting him to be a natural part of our lives. We should not have him on the back burner of our lives, only available when we need help or a miracle. We should be in daily commune with him. It should be that natural fabric of our lives, not a legalistic checkbox. And in fact, we should be joyful as we get to be in prayer with the one who loves and sustains us. Pray continually does sound hard and more impossible than it really is, though. Because to pray continually does not mean every waking second on a legalistic timetable. It simply means you live and commune with Jesus each day in his presence, relationally. And that will continue to help us as we strive to live in his general will. So we've seen that being joyful in the Lord and praying continually or living, being in his presence are the two points of how to be in the Lord's will. And the third point is that we are called to do is give thanks in all our circumstances. And this is a timely point, being that we all just celebrated Thanksgiving a couple days ago, but giving thanks in all our circumstances is a bit more than doing it just a once a year on Thanksgiving. Because with that being said, this is a hard one to do. How can we give thanks in all our circumstances? What if our life isn't going well? What if the negatives just keep piling and piling up? What if our money's running out or our health is poor? What if I'm having relationship troubles? How can I possibly give thanks for those things that have happened? Well, to help break it down a bit, God does not intend us to, uh, for us to be thankful for everything that happens, but he does expect us to be thankful in everything that happens. And there's a difference. And here's a few uh, examples of that. So, for example, if you were involved in a car accident, you don't necessarily have to thank God for that car accident. But you can thank him that you weren't hurt more severely. Or if you happen to break your leg, you, can, you don't necessarily have to thank God that you have a broken leg, but you can thank him for the fact that you don't have to bite on a stick and they put it into place. But we have modern medicine and surgeries that we have today. We can give thanks for that. Or another one, when you have dirty dishes. Here's a practical one. You don't have to thank God for the opportunity to wash those dishes, but you can thank him for the food that you have to eat and the dishes that you actually have to put that food on. This is a difference of those things of what it means to be um, thankful in all your circumstances. So I know that being thankful not for, but in all things, of course, is a lot easier said than done. There's a lot of emotions and things that can come into our life, but if we're completely honest with ourselves, it's pretty hard for us to be thankful in everything. But as I was putting this passage together, I came across a story that really inspired me on being thankful in every situation. And that oftentimes God has a specific reason for everything that is happening as well. So let me share this great story of thankfulness for everything in every situation with you. And you might have heard of it. It's, uh, it's from uh, Corey Ten Boom, actually. And uh, I'll get to that in a second. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corrie ten Boom tells of a time she discovered that God was working even in the most horrific circumstances. Corrie and her sister Betsy had been imprisoned by the Nazis for hiding Jews behind the wall of their Holland home. And the Nazi prison conditions were pretty well unbearable. And Corrie writes that Barracks 8 was in the quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, 
were located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Blows landing in irregular rhythm, screams keeping pace. We would stand in our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sounds stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Yet in the midst of that suffering, the women prisoners around Corey and Betsy found comfort in the little Bible studies they held in their barracks. Corey writes, they gathered around the Bible like waifs clustered around a blazing fire. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. But when they were moved from barracks 8 to barracks 28, Corey was horrified by the fact that their reeking straw bed platforms swarmed with fleas. How could they live in such a place? But it was Betsy who discovered God's answer. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all your circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul, arid room. They thank God for the fact that they were together. They thank God that they had a Bible. They even thank God for the horrible crowds of prisoners that more people would be able to hear God's word. And then, Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for the fleas. Give thanks in all your circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. But it turned out that Betsy was not wrong. Because if you know this story, the fleas were a nuisance. But they were a blessing after all. Because the women were able to have their Bible studies in the barracks with a great deal of freedom, never bothered by the supervisors. Because they discovered that it was the fleas that kept the supervisors out of that place. So they were able to share God's word. They were able to give thanks in all their circumstances, and it was because of those horrible fleas they were able to give thanks to God and have those Bible studies. And to me, I think this has to be one of the best stories of giving thanks that I've ever seen, that even in a prison camp, overcrowded, horrible conditions, beatings and whatever you have, and, and fleas, that you gave thanks even for the fleas and in your situation, and that's the one thing that allowed you to have those Bible studies. To me, I say that's such a blessing. I, I have not heard a better thankful one because not too many situations are worse than that. And they can give thanks for every little piece, even the fleas. That's a blessing of a story, but this passage of 1 Thessalonians is such a blessing as well. Because in a way, it seems like a tough and almost impossible checklist of being joyful always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all our circumstances. But however, as I, I hope that as we think about this passage, it will actually give us more of a freedom as we are striving to live in God's general will. And I also hope that we see that really all these are just pointing to us having a good standing relationship with the Lord and basing our joy and community and thankfulness on Jesus and the relationship with him. And if we strive to do that, 
and have a great relationship with him, we can be living in his general will regardless of the decisions we make. Because we will not be making sinful and wrong decisions every day and straying from his will if we're striving to be joyful, praying continually, and giving thanks in all of our circumstances. And this passage really helped me personally after being paralyzed on many decisions, but one in particular that I needed to make for, uh, that we needed to make for Meredith and I just over three years ago. And that decision has to do with moving from Oregon to here, actually. So let me tell you real quick about it. It was, it was about a year before the pandemic started, and Meredith and I were feeling in our hearts that God was, was pushing us to leave the church that she had grown up in most of her life, and that I was a youth pastor at for about 10 years, and where we met and had a lot of life together. So we were talking, we both wanted to look locally near the Oregon area so we could stay near the family. However, it was about three or four months into the process, and out of nowhere, really, I remember this conversation that Meredith and I had, and we both felt like we needed to expand that search outside of the Oregon area. And if you know me, that is something that I thought we'd never do. I thought I'd be in Oregon my whole life. She she could attest to that. Um, But God was pushing in our hearts that we may need to expand that search a little bit. And so after we expanded that search, we started getting some traction on potential job opportunities, one in Idaho and one here in Kansas. We got to the point where it looked like we were front runners for both jobs. And then as things were moving ahead, particularly with this Kansas job, everything shut down from the pandemic. At this point, I was still the youth pastor at my church in Oregon. We had a strong leading job in Idaho and another one here in Kansas. But then we were stalled due to the pandemic. So as I said, I often got paralyzed in trying to decide and figure out what that one decision for God's will was in our life. We could potentially go to Idaho, we could potentially go to Kansas, or we could stay here in Oregon. And that option was starting to look a little bit more realistic with all the pandemic and everything going on. But now I had a lot of time to think about and be paralyzed. What was it that God wanted us to do in trying to pick that one right decision? There could only be one, right? And I was struggling because everything was on hold and I had a lot of time to overthink. But through this time, the Lord brought me to this passage and really gave me some clarity on his general will. He really helped me realize that if I stayed in Oregon, if I went to Idaho or Kansas, that as long as I was living for him and I was striving to be joyful, praying continually and giving thanks in all my circumstances, then I would be fine and in his will. All those options could have worked out. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Rusty earlier this week, and he said that God's will for our life, his general will, is kind of like a a playground. There's a a boundary of that playground, but there's a lot of things to do. As long as you're staying in the boundary of that playground, there's a lot of area to roam and a lot of places to go that, that when we think about God's will, it shouldn't confine us. It should actually give us freedom that as long as we're in those boundaries, which is a lot of boundary, that we can live and be a part of his will if we are uh, being joyful, praying continually, and giving thanks in all of our circumstances. We have a lot of room to play in that, and that idea has really helped free me up that God does have a specific will for our lives as well that's more overarching, but that many of our daily decisions and choices we make that are in the open playground of God's general will, that we have room to go and move forward in life and make those decisions, and we can be in his will. It should really give us some freedom. And with that being said, and more clarity in how we could be in God's will and more freedom to make a a decision, fast forward a few months into that story, into the pandemic, and in this process, we decided to drop the Idaho job as it didn't seem like the fit that we wanted. And we knew we wanted to move forward with Crossroad as long as Crossroad still wanted to move forward with us and things hadn't changed from the pandemic on their side. 
And thank the Lord, uh, we see that three years later, we completely made the wrong choice and are out of God's will. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> complete, complete change. So we know that three years from now, we have actually are so wonderfully blessed to be here. And we're so thankful to be a part of here. And that fast forward those three years, God has brought us here. And we are thankful and we're doing what we can to strive to be joyful, pray continually, and give thanks in our circumstances. Um, and that in that, we can be a part of God's will. And so that helped really free us up. We're so thankful for Wichita and Crossroad, and we strive, again, to be joyful, to pray continually, and give thanks in all our circumstances, for that is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. So in conclusion, I hope that this makes sense, and I hope this help gives a, give us some freedom and clarity in how to seek out God's general will, because I know that I'm not the only one that has been paralyzed in those decisions, but I hope that this gives us some freedom when we think about these decisions, that if we're living a life that's honoring God, being joyful, praying continually, and giving thanks in, our, in all our circumstances, according to this passage, what we decide, we're living in his will. And that should be a blessing for us all as we think about that and hopefully give us some freedom as well in what it is that Christ wants for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your passage that shows us such clarity what it means to be um, in your will. And in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians talks about sanctification is your will. And these are some of the steps of how to have a life that is sanctified to you, Lord, by being joyful, praying, continually, and giving thanks is kind of the formula that we talked about. We know it isn't always easy, but as long as you, we seek you and try to strive to, to live that life that honors and pleases you, Lord, we can be in your will. And thank you for making it not so confined, but giving freedom in decision-making. And I pray that each of us will go from here and be excited of how we can make decisions that will be living uh, and, and pleasing to you and not be paralyzed before we make those decisions, Lord, but that we have that freedom, that we can do things for you. And I pray that it will open up uh, opportunities, that freedom will open up opportunities to make those great decisions for you. And I pray that we can strive to be joyful, pray continually, and give thanks in all our circumstances. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.